Yeah, my name is Ben Deaver. I'm one of the pastors here. If I haven't met you yet, I'd love to meet you. I know family maybe has like plans right afterwards, maybe going to the chef or something, and I understand that, I get that. But if you're able to stick around just a little bit, I would love to, to meet everyone. That would be awesome. Uh, the mingle questions, I like these mingle questions. I chose them. So just briefly, if I could bring back a fashion trend, it would be the rolled up jeans, you know, where you fold it over and roll it up. So we'll see if that trends. We'll see if, you know, how influential we are here. And then the smell that uh, triggers nostalgia, and I have not yet, I've been meaning to do this. I have not played tennis in years, but opening a can of tennis balls is distinct smell memories. It's awesome. None of that is related to today's sermon. So we're in the parables, parables of Jesus. So last Sunday, the parable that Dave preached on was, was about faithfulness to the king. Are you the king's man? Fidelity or loyalty to the king. So today, it's, it's kind of about faithfulness or fidelity to one another, to relationship, including the king. So we'll be in Luke, Luke uh, chapter 12, uh, verse tw 13 to 21. So just a handful of verses, and we'll probably cover a few more as we go. So in this, uh, in this story... Someone in the crowd boldly comes to Jesus and says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So pretty demanding fellow, uh, likely the younger son, right? Because the older son would divide the estate. At least this guy waited for his dad to die before he wanted his inheritance. Remember that prodigal son a few weeks ago? He wanted his inheritance before his dad even passed away. But yeah, it, pretty bold to, to approach Jesus in the middle of a whole crowd and make a demand like this. And so Jesus says, man, and, and again, this, this right here, this is not a term of endearment. It actually kind of has a negative connotation. It's kind of like Jesus is teaching, the dude comes up, and he's like, bro, like, what's up? Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? So he's like, that's not my job. That's not what I'm about and then Jesus says this, and really, if we just get these words, we could probably just go home uh, right now. Jesus said to them, so he turns from the man, kind of brushes him off, and tells everyone, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, exhibit A, right here, this guy. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. Jesus could have stopped here, and they all could have gone home, and it would be fine. That guy would have been crestfallen. He would have, you know, Jesus shamed him publicly. Watch out. Don't be like this guy. Greedy dude. Doesn't get it. But no, Jesus wants to drive the point home even more with a parable. So it says he told them this parable. So let me pray just briefly as we listen to the words of Jesus. Father, we want to gather around to hear Jesus. We want ears to hear and hearts to receive. And we want courage to counterculturally prioritize our relationships over our stuff and to-do lists. And we pray this in Christ's name. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. So here's the story. Are you fighting me on the slides there? All right, we'll, we'll figure it out. Um, I'm, yeah, Enneagram One control. I, sorry, Ian, I'm fighting you. Give it up for Ian doing our slides. He's doing awesome. <laughs> All right, Jesus says, 
the ground of a certain rich man, and remember, this dude's just standing right here, yielded an abundant harvest. So he's already rich. He's a rich man, and then he's yielding an abundant harvest. That's what we all want, right? Passive income. The rich tend to get richer, whereas the poor tend to get poorer. And so he's kind of onto something. I mean, this is what we want. We want to be wealthy, and we want our wealth to increase in wealth. That's good financial planning. So he thought to himself, what shall I do? I got no place to put all this stuff, right? So, okay, already he's, he's in conversation with himself. There's a big, a big issue already. Not in conversation with his community, his friends, his family. Uh, we don't know what that looks like, but he's talking to himself. And here's what he decides. Verse 18, then he said, hey, this is what I'll do. I'll give away my excess to feed the poor. In fact, I'll establish a work program to provide jobs for my community here on my farm. I'll mentor these workers and I'll leave my community better than I found it. And eventually I'll hand over my estate to a benevolent heir to carry on this tradition of generosity. I'll finally breathe my last breath satisfied with the legacy I've left behind and I'll go home to my creator. That sounds good. That is heresy, because that's not in the Bible. That is not what he said. That's probably uh, second hesitations 12, 18 to 19. Can I get an amen? I, I don't know, I'm just working it, okay. This is what he actually said. Oh, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, probably pretty good barns, and I'll build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain, and I'll say to myself, self, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry, or rejoice. And another translation captures it a little more accurately. He'll say to my soul, soul, eat, drink, and be merry. You've made it. And that soul is that immaterial part of us, our spirit, our breath of life. So apparently, though, uh, this, this guy's perspective is somewhat biblical. If you read uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, 32, Paul actually says, let us eat and drink and be merry. But if you go read that, you'll find out he's actually talking about exactly how not to live. So he says, eat, drink, and rejoice. So the, this word rejoice in the Greek, it's uh, euphrano. Um, Fron is where we get the word diaphragm. It's kind of your, your, your gut, your viscera, where you're, you're, you're thinking, you're, the core of who you are. So to rejoice is sort of to that sigh of relief, that full satisfaction. So, you know, like you eat a, at Hoo Hot and you're on plate three or something and you sit down and you, maybe you have to unbutton the belt one notch. You try to take a deep breath and it's just like... Sigh of relief, satisfaction. So this, this kind of embodies, um, you know, this is our culture, right? Materialism, consumerism. I mean, this is very modern take on what the happy life is aspired to by many across the globe. So I think it kind of resonates with us. So I, I remember driving recently, um, and those are usually when I have good conversations with my son, Maddox. And he commented to me, he said, you know what? I don't want to live in a mansion. 
And I was like, oh, really? Good, because we're never going to have a mansion. <laughs> he says, because it would be lonely. I don't want to be alone. But he does want a house bigger than ours, so anyways. But not a mansion. So I take us now to another person, a modern person. Anyone see this? Float across Twitter or Instagram. This is Jeff Bezos, I think currently the second richest man in, on earth, I don't remember for sure, riding Space Mountain in Disney World all by his lonesome. Now, I think it's, it's quick and easy to, to judge someone like that because the wealth is just so far above likely anyone in this room. And if, if, if you got that kind of wealth, we do have some projects we need funded around here. Um, but this, this floated across my Instagram account and uh, there was, I, I was reading about it. One Twitter user said, this picture of Jeff Bezos alone on Space Mountain in Disney World is the perfect metaphor for being filthy rich and incredibly lonely. And I don't know, I don't know Jeff Bezos, I don't know, maybe it was fine and, and it's probably, he's, it's not that much money. So no judgment on him, but just to, to consider uh, this type of scene. Another user said, sometimes being the second richest person on earth can be lonely. Someone said, this has gotta be the most pathetic demonstrations of wealth I've ever seen. Imagine having the power to eradicate poverty and, in cho and choosing instead to spend your money and time doing stuff like this. But others defended Bezos. They said, I can't judge. I would do the same if I were a billionaire. Sounds kind of fun to shut down the amusement park. That's why we buy those fast passes, right? If you have the money for the fast pass, you want to bypass the riffraff to get the thing you want. Um, so to, to, just to consider our own lives, because none of us are Jeff Bezos or likely this, this man building these huge barns for his stuff. But I think we all kind of get this if we, if we allow ourselves. So when I'm biking, you know, I'm always like, hey, share the road, I'm biking over here. But if I'm driving a car, what's my mentality? Get off the road, I'm driving, right? Maybe I'm the only one. Or when I walk past first class and I'm like, all the room up here, these guys, you know, fine drinks, I'll just, you know, go back here unless I'm in first class. Then I'm like, oh yeah, let's stretch out. Let's eat, drink, and be merry, and take a nap. Maybe that's just me. Or we're, we're, look, we're peering into our closet that's full of clothes, and we come to the conclusion, I've got nothing to wear. Maybe, maybe that's just me. Or I'm holding a three-year-old device or a five-year-old, in my case, it is time for an upgrade, that can access more knowledge than even existed 50 years ago, and then I exclaim, I need an upgrade. So I think we kind of get this, this yearning for more, more and more. So how does God interact with that mindset? This is what Jesus says, he continues. God said to him, verse 20, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? So fool, that word in the original language Greek is aphron, without a diaphragm, without that core. This is just like a fool, like a court gesture. It's, it, he doesn't even make it about a moral issue 
And the use of our wealth is a moral issue. Stewarding is a moral issue. No, he makes it a matter of are you smart or stupid? So yeah, we can talk about the morality of how we use our funds, but what about what makes sense as an investment or from the side of, of just happiness, pursuing happiness? He says, you fool. So I, I imagine Jesus saying, I pity the fool, right? So that was first uttered by God in first century, and then uh, Mr. T made it American colloquialism in uh, 1982. Well, this man right here, his, the, the seed that has been planted in his, his heart, he is like that third soil in Luke 8 that is just growing up in toxicity, being choked out by the pleasures of this world, the riches of this world, the worries of this world, it's never coming to fruition or maturity. John D. Rockefeller, um, super wealthy guy back in the day, he said, the poorest man I know is the man who has nothing but money. So here's this man making, having counsel with himself. He's got his stuff, but he's alone. I remember um, listening to Tim Keller, first time I heard him speak at a conference years ago. We quote him a lot. So I don't have the specific quote because it was just in that talk, but I remember him saying, this is probably my early 20s uh, when I was considering you know, going into full-time ministry, and he says, no one looks back and wishes they spent less time with their kids and more time in the office. And I remember trying to mark those words at that time, but it's a constant battle for me. Am I going to choose to prioritize relationship over stuff or to-do lists. And I remember um, as a junior in college, just sitting there in a music theory class, I think I was tuning out from what they were teaching and just pondering life and it just dawning on me that life does not consist of my to-do lists. All of that should serve relationships. So if there's any if there's any growth in my life personally in investing in relationships, that is supernatural. That's God doing something because my natural proclivity is give me a to-do list, let me knock it off and feel good about myself. But life does not consist in that. It consists in relationships. St. Augustine, uh, the North African uh, theologian and writer, uh, fifth century, I believe, he, commenting on this story, he said he did not realize that the bellies of the poor were much safer storerooms than his barns. That's good. Where is the investment gonna count? This man didn't quite understand the nature of his own soul. Uh, in Psalm 42, it's a great psalm, so go home, read Psalm 23, reflect on that, listen to that song we sang. Then flip over to 42. It says, as the deer pants for streams of water. So again, that's when that, that diaphragm is yearning. It's almost like the, the picture here of a deer is that it's almost to the point of death. And what is that deer longing for? For water. So my soul pants or longs for God. Not food and drink, the soul longs for relationship with our creator. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God, the psalmist says. And as St. Augustine famously has said, my soul is restless until it rests in thee. 
So we have this man who God says, Jesus, right in front of everyone, this, is, this guy's a fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. You don't know how long you have to live. Then who will get what you have? Who will get all this stuff? And Jesus sums up the whole thing. I think I have. There we go. Oh, maybe I didn't have it there. This is how it will be, Jesus says, with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. That's how it's gonna be. So Jesus, after this interaction, and this poor guy here, so in this, in this interaction, the, the guy, don't feel bad for the guy. He has an invitation to reflect and repent. Every time Jesus speaks, there's always invitation to reflect and repent for response and action. So actually, it, it, it's probably great that he, called, he went to Jesus and made such a demand and then got this story because now he has an opportunity to not throw his life away. So don't feel bad for that fool. Like he can become a wise person if he just heeds Jesus' words. So Jesus, he debriefs this interaction with his disciples. He takes it even deeper, which he's prone to do. And we all get to listen in to Jesus' words that come right after this. And I'd encourage you, if you follow Jesus around long enough, he'll teach you to be happy and healthy. Um, he, he's, a, he's a good good person to listen to. He knows what he's talking about. So the response that he goes into with his disciples, first is to not worry. We're fine again. Okay, there we go. So right after this, Luke 12, 22 to 23, he says, he says this to his disciples. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. And they're following all around Palestine, you know, they got hardly anything to eat and, and uh, they're following Jesus in his ministry. He says, don't worry about that, what you'll eat or about your body, what you'll wear, for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Life consists in so much more than this material realm. You have a soul. You're with me, Jesus. And then next he says to help them not to worry. He says to consider and I love these invitations from Jesus. So first he gives them exhibit A. He says, consider the ravens. And I just picture Jesus looking over and, and saying, there's a flock of ravens or a murder of crows or something like that. Ravens, consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you can't do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Such a small thing, yeah. We could take care of our health all we want and cancer could still hit, right? A car accident could happen. Like we can't even control our own breath. So why not surrender the rest like the ravens? And then exhibit B. And by the way, Jesus is inviting us into meditation. I mean, these are devotional things like like get outside and think about these things. Consider how the wildflowers, they grow. They don't labor or spin. You don't see a, a flower just like trying really hard. You know, I'm, sometimes I'm at the gym and I watch the way we struggle to lift that weight, but these, these birds, are, or sorry, these flowers, they're not struggling at all. They're just at ease, not laboring or spinning. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon, second king of Israel in the Old Testament, in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, tomorrow is gone, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And here Jesus is, these are, these are endearing words. O you of little faith. 
but I want that faith to grow. So considering not only helps you battle anxiety and to not worry, but also cultivates gratitude so you appreciate what you already have. That stuff in your closet, the cars on your driveway, the phone in your pocket, your friends, your things. It helps cultivate gratitude. So don't worry and consider. And we'll call this one, check your heart and then to recorrect or set your heart. He says, do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world, and I think this holds true today, our culture runs after such things and your father knows that you need them. He knows that we need to get to the chef every once in a while or flight crew or, or wherever. And now, now, I'm sorry, now you all are thinking about where you wanna eat, that's okay. He knows you need that, but seek his kingdom. Set your heart on his kingdom. And these things will also be added to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. So he'll take care of our material needs. And when, when, there, when people have lack of material provision, it's because there's usually some systemic issue where, where others are not stewarding what God has provided. But God will provide for you material things, so set your sights higher to his kingdom, to that which really matters. And so this, this man's coming to Jesus, say, hey, tell my brother to divide the inheritance. Meanwhile, Jesus himself, as we learn later in the story, is our older brother who has divided his inheritance with us. We are co-heirs with Christ. Um, meaning when Jesus returns, we are uh, vice regents or co-rulers with Christ of this earth, of the universe. It's awesome. So as you consider, check your heart, where's that, and then re-correct it or set it. And then finally, invest your treasure and your heart will follow. So he says in Luke 12, 33 to 34, sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Um, I haven't bought a bunch of Bitcoin. I don't even know what it is or Dogecoin or all the things. Um, well, I probably can't afford to buy any of it. But I, you watch these currencies just ebb and flow, right? I mean, that's, that's like modern moth destroying. It's just, it's so temperamental. But yet our investment in the kingdom is eternal. That's secure. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we don't sit around and, and just ask God, you know, please move my heart to generosity. No, we act. We are generous. We place our money first and then our heart follows. Think about that. So if you're like, hey, I want a heart for um, you know, single women that, that have unwanted pregnancies. Invest your money, time, talents, resources there and your heart will follow. That's the biblical idea. So there's no sort of like, well, I just never really gave to that thing because I never really felt like it. Yes, God loves a cheerful giver, but he still wants you to get there, right? So it may not feel as cheerful at first. It might be an acquired taste, but your heart will begin to follow. 
So um, I think we as a, as a church have opportunity to get creative. We, we're already, as a church, pretty generous. Like we've been able to merge and, and keep our staff and, and, and pay for the things and, and see a sacrificial generosity begin to emerge. Now, how much more? Not that we would sit and just talk to ourselves about our resources, but collectively begin to dream about what do we do if God were to give the excess to bless this community? So not just discussing with ourselves, but community conversation and counsel. So I'm gonna invite the worship team up and just share a little bit. Um, I came across this, this uh, a white paper called The Science of Generosity. It's a white paper prepared for the John Templeton Foundation by the Greater Good Science Center at UC Berkeley. So has nothing to do, here we are. This is not a faith background organization at all. This is just secular research. And their conclusions are that a host of studies have uncovered evidence that humans are biologically wired for generosity. Acting generously activates the same reward pathway that is activated by sex and food, a correlation that may help to explain why giving and helping feel good. Or even seeing others be generous and the delight that comes actually feels good. And it goes on, further evidence of the deep roots of human generosity comes from studies finding consistent displays of generosity among young children, even young toddlers. Multiple studies have shown that children appear to have an innate drive to cooperate and to help others. But this drive is tempered as children grow older and their giving behavior becomes more selective and nuanced. Basically, they're influenced by the older people who don't have, have lost that or, or that third soil. Um, so Jesus' words, um, the words that he said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's more happy to give than receive. That is so true. And science is catching up to the words that Jesus shared uh, centuries ago. And I think we can get this uh, as a culture. Uh, my, my son Maddox, he's nine years old, he loves Pokemon. And one of the things he loves to do is to give Pokemon cards to people. And it's, it's awesome to watch, because I know that is his treasure. So on different occasions, he'll give me a Pokemon card. It's like, I don't collect Pokemon cards, unless they're the ones my son gives me. We were at a, one of the new Mexican restaurants, and the waiter comes up, and Maddox says, here, gives him the Pokemon card. And the guy just like, he's like, that's dope, you know? Like, it, it's, it's exciting. Um, I think people want to at least want to be generous people. There is joy to be had in generosity, giving. There's, so uh, I'll add something else to your meditation or your devotion this week. Some of you may not think it appropriate, but I think it is. Who has seen God's plan, the Drake's music video from 2018? No one wants to raise your hand, okay. Uh, so Drake, he's a rapper, kind of famous dude. In this music video, it starts out, it says the budget to make this music video was $996,631.90. And the whole thing is just him intentionally giving gift after gift. Not just giving stuff away to people, but investing in them. 50K to, to um, uh, a junior at the University of Miami 
10,000 to the University of Miami Frost School of Music, 70,000 to the Lotus House Women's Shelter, and on and on. The whole, it just brings me to tears, just watching this rapper, and the lyrics are a little crass, actually, so don't, you know, some of it, but just watching the delight in people's eyes to receive and his delight to give. I want that. Maybe not on that scale of a million dollars, but I want to be about and a part of that. And he said, Drake's reflection on that is, that's the most important thing I have ever done in my career. So as we get ready to sing, just a few questions for you. This morning, what relationships can you prioritize over your stuff or your to-do list, even today? Maybe the Spirit of God's bringing something to mind, someone to mind. What experiment of generosity can you run this week to test Jesus' words that it's happier to give than receive? Just test him. Test his words. And finally, kind of big picture, what legacy will you leave behind? So I'd love to pray for us and then we could close singing together. Father, we, we uh, want to continue to be a people who gather around to hear Jesus. We want ears to hear, hearts to receive, and the courage to prioritize relationship over our stuff and our to-do lists. Pray for any who are here who are not in relationship with you, that they would respond to your invitation, your patient and gentle yet firm invitation that life does not consist in all this stuff. Those things might be important, but it consists in relationship and you long to connect with us. So Father, I pray that your spirit would just continue to move in our church and through our church and that we together would leave a legacy that's fitting of your son. Amen. In Jesus' name. This teaching was recorded by Tallgrass at the Well. We're building community together by inviting people into the way of Jesus. For more resources like this, visit tallgrassatthewell.church.